Hey church, welcome back to the Saratoga Abundant Life Podcast. We're so glad you're here, taking some time out of your day to study the word of the Lord with us. We actually had a special service. We had one service this last week, and we commissioned some new eldership and honored some eldership that have been serving with us for a while. They're taking a little bit of a break um, and focusing on some other things in their life. And it was really cool, but before that, Pastor Glenn gave a really great message on leadership, and it wasn't the typical message that you normally get. It was actually based around David. So I encourage you to get your Bibles and your notebooks out and get ready to hear what the Lord put on our pastors. Okay, let's get rolling. Isn't it interesting, a single service, the people that you might have missed, whether you're a first service or a second service, most of us are in the same room together. That's good, right? Catching up with people you haven't seen or are you stuck in your same old cliques? That's the challenge right there. Exciting times we're living in. It's not, it's not going to get old, is it? They're about to get more exciting today. So um, a little update. Just wanted to update you guys. Um, how many people remember this? Remember the story about this? Well, we trace back through the security footage, the culprit is right there, Jeremy Cumaletti set me up for a 2.30 in the morning, wake up horn on my seat. Yep, we have the technology, we have him. Listen, payback for that takes a little while to plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's elder material right there. I'm going to talk a little bit about leadership this morning, and then we're going to welcome some uh, new elders in place this morning. Amen? Yeah. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, for, the lack, for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I'm thankful that part, the, the journey that I've been on in my entire life since, really that since I've been in the workforce, um, I've had a lot of people that have brought me up and taught me some excellent, excellent leadership qualities. I'm not saying I'm a perfect leader, but the people that have invested in my life, all the way from my first job at a restaurant, um, an older Greek family came into the area where I lived, spoke barely any English, took me in as an 18-year-old young man and taught me how to manage assets, finances, people, treat them with value. That was my first job. And then I went into the military, spent 11 years where you learn quite a different model than the world sees, and yet there was such building blocks in the military that line right up with the kingdom of God. And then the military sent me up here and the Lord saved my life here at this church 27 years ago. 
Yeah, thank you, Lord. And I've had men like Pastor Dale and Pastor Joe. Is Pastor Joe here today? He's not here. Just wanted to honor him. Um, these two men and Pastor Paul, who's, you know, currently, um, you know, my, my, one of my mentors on, in uh, this area. Anyways, just poured into me and continued to teach and believe and seek the Lord for, for what he had for my life in this area. So I'm excited about what's going on today. One thing, that, one thing that I learned to appreciate along this, this, this journey, though, is that without good leadership, uh, just like the Proverbs says, there isn't a lot of hope for success. That's why the sign uh, says, you know, is, is your success, you know, missing leadership? And we have a culture, not just in our country, although our country suffers greatly from this, is that you don't need anybody to tell you what to do. You're your own person. Have it your way. Was that Burger King? Yeah, Burger King ruined us, people. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, God, the one who designed this earth and set things in place, says that we need people in our lives and the forms of leadership that we might grow in our own form of leadership. Every single person in here, regardless of your age, well, with the exception of the little guys that are in the back, <laughs> has some form of leadership in your life, whether you recognize it or not. People are looking to you and actually taking some direction, whether you're intending to do that or not. If you're a teenager in this room, raise your hand. In your teens, raise them high, Steph. Be proud, I'm a teen, come on. Uh, Tracy, I'm gonna be kind. Teenagers, raise them up. All the little guys next door that are in Sunday school, life kids, they're looking at you guys more intently than they are the adults in the room because you're cool. And most of the adults in their eyes are not. They're watching you. You, you have a, a platform of leadership whether you want it or not. And so you should pay attention so I want to look at a few things today in, 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 the, in the Word, and I want to look at a unique story about leadership, and then we'll get into ordaining the uh, four elders after. So Holy Spirit, we, uh, we hold on to this Word, we treasure it. God, I confess I'm not in it as much as I should or like to be, but God, when I'm in it, there's life. And so I pray that you continue to uh, encourage us and you show us the value of what this word was meant for us, not just as a gift, as a casual thing, but that, Lord, this word would deposit such milestones, stepping stones in our life that we would continue to grow in who we are through the eyes of what you look at, Jesus. God, I'm thankful that you've had a plan for all of our lives, and you won't give up on us, even when we sometimes give up on ourselves. I pray this room would be full of faith and encouragement today in all that we do and that this story that we look at would encourage our hearts and the potential and who we all are in this room to be leaders for the kingdom of God. And everybody said, amen. So I want to tell you a little background because this story that I'm just going to really put together, and if you want to read the details, I encourage you to do. It's a phenomenal story, but it basically takes 
place across several chapters of 1 Samuel and 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles. And the story is encompassing around the life of David, but something specific that David was uh, called upon to do. And so if you, if you haven't read a lot of the Old Testament, I'll kind of fill you in on a piece of this, but how many people have heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Yep. Yeah, right? You see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yep. It's right there, right? And everybody that's seen Raiders of the Lost Ark knows where the Ark of the Covenant currently is. In a government warehouse somewhere. A lot of you have not seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was a long time ago. But the Ark of the Covenant, um, when you know, God was moving through the nation of Israel after Moses led him through the Red Sea, and um, you know, started the journey in the, in the desert. Uh, he asked the, the Israelites to make a wooden box when, when uh, Moses came down from Mount Sinai and had delivered the Ten Commandments and they needed a place to put the commandments and so he gave them specific directions on how to build this Ark of the Covenant which was basically a really elaborate and ornate box and it was made up of acacia wood, but it was gold-plated inside and out. It was very decorative, and it was made of the most precious metals. And inside of the ark, along the way, there was three important items that were in there that the Israelites took with them, and they carried that thing, the Levites, the priests, they carried that ark on their shoulders or at the low, wherever they went on their journeys as the Lord led the nation of Israel through that long journey of theirs. And inside there was the, ten, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses. Anybody know what the other two things were? Aaron's budding rod and a jar of manna. Remember the, when you read through the story, like you couldn't save manna for a day because it would rot, right? But the Lord allowed a jar of manna to be preserved along with Aaron's budding rod, the staff, um, and these three items was to be a testimony to the generations of the nation of Israel, how God's church, his people, would be taught, fed, and ruled. And they carried that with, with them. And on top was the cover. And the cover was really fancy. And there was these two cherubim angels carved in gold on the top. And the actual manifest presence of God sat in the middle of the cherubim on the mercy seat or the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, usually, unless they were in tow, the only person that got anywhere near the Ark was the high priest once a year when he went into the Holy of Holies to sacrifice for the sin of the nation of Israel. But that Ark went with them everywhere and there's a lot of cool things that happen because the ark was along for the journey with the nation of israel and so i'm going to do a real thirty thousand foot view of this one story about david so the ark re represents god's presence how many in here are thankful that we don't need to carry around a box but that the holy spirit lives inside the heart of the believer you are now the you know the vessel by which the presence of god goes through the earth like we were singing God give us a heart for your people you're not alone the presence of God is with you and when we see the kinds of things it did in the 
Old Testament, just imagine, allow God to really open your imagination of what he could do as a carrier of his presence in today's society. So a couple of things happened. When they were crossing the Jordan to the promised land, Joshua had the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant enter into the water. And as soon as the priests who were carrying the Ark stepped into the water, the water stopped in the river so that the whole nation could pass through the, the river. Jericho, Joshua was told to march around the walls of Jericho, which had never been you know, conquered by man or any weapon. And he said to march around seven times, but to put you know, the worship team, the priests with the trumpet and carry the Ark of the Covenant around those laps seven times. And on the seventh pass, the priest shouted, shot the uh, trumpets, and guess what happened? The walls not only came down, they fell outward, not inward. And they have found actual evidence of the ruins of the walls of Jericho that actually historically point that that story is actually true. If you were trying to attack a city, the walls would be pushed in. God's presence did it the other way because he didn't want anybody to get the story wrong. So in 1 Samuel 4, this is way back, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. And I said, it's going to be a real broad overview, not a lot of details. But in that fight, that battle against the Philistines, the actual Philistines were winning and actually won the battle against the Israelites. And how many know that usually when that happened is because the nation of Israel said, well, we don't really need God as much as we did before. We're doing really good on our own, so we'll just take these guys on ourselves. And it never worked well. And that's why I call that journey of 40 years, which could have been probably three to four weeks, like the roller coaster of the heritage of the Jewish people. So when they win the battle against the nation of Israel in 1 Samuel 4, they actually take the Ark of the Covenant as part of their plunder. And they think this is going to make a great souvenir in our idol god's temple. The name of that god was Dagon. So they take the Ark of the Covenant back and they put it in the room where they, they house everything and basically it's Dagon's temple as a prize, and each morning that the Ark of the Covenant is in Dagon's temple, they go out to worship, and the Dagon statue, which is quite large, is actually on its side in the temple. I wonder how many days it took to say, what's going on here? They knew what the Ark was. It wasn't some just fancy box to them. They understood what it was and what it represented. Well, they didn't, they didn't do that for very much longer because they were, you know, the people were starting to get a little antsy that their you know, token god statue, which is ginormous, is on its side every time they get up. And so they move it to other places. But when they start to move it to other places, the whole group of the Philistines, the nation that they gathered in, was under like severe devastation and plagues were starting to come and make all the people sick. And so finally, those really you know, bright Philistines said, get the Ark of the Covenant out of here. And they put it on a cart and they sent it away. Well, that took seven months for them to figure out that maybe they shouldn't have the Ark of the Covenant. Seven months. You know, we read the Bible and we're like, these people are so slow and thick. 
Sometimes we just need to look in the mirror a few times and go, ah, you know what, Lord? I understand. So they place it on a car and they send it back and it goes back into the nation of Israel, but it doesn't go back into the place it normally was stored, which was with the tabernacle of Moses. It just makes it into the, the nation and it gets set aside in this little town and it gets put there because the Israelites for about seven, probably seven months to a year, have been without it, and they're still doing all their sacrificing in the, in the tabernacle, void of the actual Ark of the Covenant. And so when they, they find that the, the, the Ark of the Covenant has been returned, they go and they, they take it off the cart, the, the Levites, and they put it on Joshua's rock. And they just gaze upon the rock and they look right directly into the presence of God and it says 70 priests died that day. I think that God told Moses up on Mount Sinai, no man can look directly into my presence and live. So they bring it to Abinadab's house. Now get this. And they left it there and it stayed there for 20 years outside of the tabernacle of Moses. It's in a house, 20 years. We get to 2 Samuel 6, which is a whole nother book later. So that was 1 Samuel 6 and 7 with those details. First, 2 Samuel 6, David has now been made king and he hears that the Ark of the Covenant is at Abinadab's house, and he desires to bring the Ark to Jerusalem. And so he gets all of the guys together, and you gotta remember, David basically took, became king, took the, 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 um, the throne, when the Ark of the Covenant was not where it was meant to be wasn't in the tabernacle, it was in this guy's house. So he takes the throne, not having all the, you know, the background and the upbringing of all the details. And so you got to give David a little credit. He doesn't probably know all the protocols. But listen, this is what happened. He said, guys, again, this is way paraphrasing, right? You'll know the way I talk. This is not Old Testament, okay? But like, hey, guys, we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant like back to the people. It's supposed to be here. God did not want himself to be separate and just blessing, you know, a, a single man's house or his little neighborhood. Like, this isn't good, right? You know, I'm checking in with you guys. What do you think? It's like me and my elders. What do you think about this, guys? And they all look at me and go, I don't know. You tell us. And I'm like, no, this is something that he, the, the, the Proverbs talks about with many advisors, we find the heart of God. So they go and they, and they get to the house and they, and they bring a car to their own with oxen on it. Again, here we go, protocols, right? They, they put the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant on the cart with the oxen and they start their journey. And along the way, the oxen begin to stumble and shuffle and the Ark tilts and, I'm sorry, the trailer tilts and the Ark starts to slide and this poor guy, Uzzah, reaches out to, to keep it from falling on the ground. And he dies immediately when he touches the Ark. David is destroyed by this. And he says, go put it somewhere else. And they put it in a man's house called Obed-Edom for three months. And David went away and grieved the loss of Uzzah and then sought the Lord and said, Lord, what are we supposed to do? 
And the Lord gives him instructions about how to handle the presence of God. You don't get familiar with the presence of God. Back then, if you did, you die. So over, David overcomes the grief and the fear, and he hears that this house, Obed-Edom, for three months has had the ark in it, and his household is just flourishing with blessing. And now, once again, David's got a rejuvenated heart. Let's get that ark back to his people. If it's blessing this one, man's, this one man's house, and before that, for 20 years, blessing another man's house, maybe his, you know, his family, let's bring it to his people so that we, as God's people, can walk and experience the blessing of being with God in his presence, dwelling with us. If that's not foreshadowing what happened through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, guys, I don't know what else to tell you. It's obvious. And so David, understanding what he needed to do, he goes there, and many people think he was actually in his underwear. That's not actually totally accurate. He was in a linen ephod, which is a priestly garment that they wore under their fancy clothes. So it's kind of, you know, everybody ever see the old, like, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge um, things where they wear those one-piece pajamas with the long sleeves, and, you know, it's got the, the flap on the back? Anybody know what that's? Never mind. Um, it's kind of like that. An ephod was an undergarment. But it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't in his boxers, like, eh, you know, wasn't doing that. But he, he takes the people, and they celebrate and sacrifice the whole way. They're bringing the ark in the right protocols, carrying the presence of God back to the people that God desired to be with from the very beginning. And we could get into all kinds of stories about how this became the way it was. But that's not the way God wanted it. But he did agree to these protocols so that he could be with his people. Come on, we serve a God that wants to be with you. That's important. He gets it in there, and the nation of Israel starts to just to experience the blessing of the presence of God back home where he belongs. All kinds of times where the Levites, you know, ministering in music 24-7. A lot of the Psalms was written out of the times where David pitched the tent and he put the ark under. And a lot of the Psalms were written out of those places. A lot of the songs we sing come from the Psalms. And there's just this long heritage of God pouring out things that not only remind us of who he is, but it positions us to be in his presence. So here's the things I want you to take away about the leadership of David. Natural attributes, what we see with our natural eyes, don't always line up with what God is doing or preparing to do. It's often quite different. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Point two, the heart is the vital element that will shape our lives and transform our soul because that's where the communion happens between us and the Spirit of God. 
1 Samuel 13, verse 14 says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. He's talking about David. And in Acts 13, verse 22, it says, after removing Saul, same time frame, it says he made David their king. And God testified, God himself testified concerning him that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do it, everything I want him to do. Three, God isn't looking for perfection. He's interested in humility. Humility positions you to be transformed, molded, fashioned, whatever word you want to look, lump of clay becomes something beautiful in the Lord's hands. Humility means that we agree with what God says. We don't fight God all the time. There have been people all through the Bible and many of you in here where God has actually tried to get your attention and reveal something about yourself, but it felt too hard or you don't see yourself in that role and we, re- we start to resist God. Can I tell you, that's just not a good career move. First Peter verse five, or chapter five, verse five says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And we studied favor a while back in, uh, in Mary and how powerful it is when God's favor is upon you. What will we do in our mistakes? David made some mistakes, but when he was confronted, David responded from a heart that wanted what God's heart wanted. And therefore, He didn't encounter a lot of the other tragic things that other people through the the scriptures have encountered. It's okay if you make mistakes. Don't try and hide your mistakes because that's a worldly thought. It matters way more what God sees and what he's doing than what the people around you see. David led God's people, not solely. He had mighty men that helped him out, but God led, or David led God's people with the heart that sought after God first and foremost. And if I can't encourage the new elderships that's coming up on this stage to be those same type of people as the most important thing that will enable us to be a part of all that God wants to be. There are other attributes that will, those things are of the utmost importance. And I'm excited about the guys that are coming. But before we do that, I wanna welcome two. There you go, a great message on leadership. If you guys do want to see the ordaining of the three new elders um, and the honoring of the elders that are stepping down, I encourage you to head over to our YouTube channel. But if not, get ready. Next week, we actually are not jumping back into our Roman studies quite yet. We actually have one of the new elders um, is going to be giving a great message. I don't know what he's going to be speaking on, but I know he knows the Lord. So I'm excited to hear what the Lord says. You don't want to miss out. We'll see you guys next week. Love you.